Angie's List is now Angie, A-N-G-I, the nation's largest home services marketplace. And they're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project is, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. That's what you want, right? I'm uh, thinking about building out my basement in my cabin. I've been perusing Angie, looking for just the right contractor to get it done the way my wife and I want it done. Now, Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and right in your neighborhood. That's important, right? You can do comparative shopping. Get started today at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I or download the app today. The app and the website are free to use. Angie.com or the Angie app. Go check it out today. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where today we have a very important guest, Ken Starr, the former Solicitor General of the United States, a former federal appeals court judge, and of course, most famously, the Whitewater Independent Counsel who investigated the Clinton's financial dealings back in the 90s. He's going to join us. He's one of the great legal minds in, in America, and he's going to talk to us about the strengths and flaws of the impeachment case against the president and uh, specifically what parts are constitutional and unconstitutional. I want to ask him a lot of questions we have to ask, right? Why isn't Chief Justice John Roberts um, uh, presiding over this? And if so, does that make the proceeding unconstitutional since the Constitution is pretty clear that the Chief Justice shall, not may or could, but shall preside over any such impeachment trial? We're also going to ask whether impeaching uh, or uh, can, having a trial to convict a president who's no longer in office is constitutional. And perhaps the most interesting thing that's happened is as we've gotten further and further from the fog of war and more into the facts of what really happened, and you know, facts really matter. But as we get deeper into the facts about what really happened on January 6th, as hideous as it was, uh, as awful as it was, as criminal as it was, uh, the idea that this was a spontaneous riot seems uh, further and further from the truth. And why is that? I've gone through all the affidavits that the FBI has uh, filed and the statements that they have filed against 230 or so people that have been charged in the, the rioting and the illegal conduct on, on January 6th. And a growing number of people are, are accused of planning, plotting for days and weeks the riot. And therefore, you can't inspire something that was already planned before you, you spoke about it. Uh, and and that, that's going to become a major part of the argument of innocence, I think, that the president's lawyers are going to make at this trial next week in the Senate if it goes off. And I'm just going to give you one new example. This just happened yesterday, right? So this is brand new. Uh, the uh, federal prosecutors filed a charge against a guy named Ethan Nordine uh, in the home state of Washington. It's his home state. And um, they say he was an officer in the Seattle chapter of the Proud Boys. That's an extremist group. Uh, he marched with them during the riot. Uh, but more importantly, he began posting messages as early as December on social media indicating he and others were planning to engage in conflict. Uh, in fact, he asked for donations to buy protective gear and to buy communications equipment 
Um, and, and in December, he wrote this, let them remember the day they decided to make war with us. This is significant evidence that in December, he was raising money for a riot. And on January 4th, um, he posted another uh, uh, statement indicating that the Proud Boys were going to, quote, bring back that original spirit of 1776 of what really established the character of what America is. And it's not complacency standards. It's how it's going to be. And I don't give a goddamn. Uh, no democracy, no peace, he wrote. Um, these are uh, significant revelations that this didn't happen in the moment, that people bought equipment, they they raised money, they talked about plans, they named people that they called their commanders in advance of what happened on January 6th. Uh, if we went back a few weeks ago, uh, we broke the story about Thomas Caldwell of Virginia. He's charged with conspiracy to in, uh, impede or, or injure an officer and destruction of government property. And his uh, the affidavit in his case makes clear that he was planning and plotting this for some time with conversations in November and in December uh, that this was not, um, uh, and there was even organizing meeting at a hotel. That's not a spontaneous event. That is a planned event. That wasn't something that was incited by the moment or the speech. It was planned uh, days or weeks in advance. So uh, I'm working on a broader story about this. But as we get to Ken Starr today, who's got a great legal mind, will help us understand where the Constitution falls, where, where the law falls, uh, what likely will happen next week. Keep in mind that the, there's now a factual basis to show that this riot, this violence was planned with fundraising and organizing and meeting and, and discussion and threats that long predated January 6th. And it, since so many of these threats, these um, uh, uh, solicitations for money, discussions of plans, um, the, uh, were out and open on social media, one has to ask. The FBI kept telling us for months it was making extremism a high priority to monitor. How did they miss all this stuff? Or did they not miss it and didn't react properly to it? Uh, the FBI's conduct becomes far more important uh, in understanding how this stuff could be going on in plain view. Facebook is one of the places. Twitter is one of the places. Parler was one of the places this stuff was going on, which means it was out and open. And the question is, what was the FBI doing to cull, collect, analyze, and intercept or stop violence that clearly was planned days and weeks ahead? I think we have a really significant question to ask us. And it weighs on the guilt or innocence of President Trump in this upcoming trial. He, you can't incite something spontaneously that was already planned. It's very much like the original allegations of Benghazi, that that was a spontaneous riot uh, carried out by people who were upset about an anti-Muslim video. And what did we learn days, weeks, and months later? It was actually a planned terror attack by an al-Qaeda offshoot group uh, that had been planned for weeks in retaliation for something far different than the video. The fog of war is lifting. The facts are showing that what happened on the Capitol was a planned event, a criminal event, but a planned event that involved fundraising, that involved commanders and plans and maps and, and equipment uh, and, and uh, organizing meetings. And it was not the spontaneous event that this impeachment article makes it out to be. I think that's a very important part. Now, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, our exclusive interview with Ken Starr, the former Solicitor General of the United States, 
the former Whitewater Independent Council. Be right back after these messages from our great, great sponsors. Hey folks, John Solomon here from John Solomon Reports. I'm proud to be on the iHeartRadio app every day with my podcast, with the news that we bring, the exclusive interviews. And you know what else is great? You can listen to any iHeartRadio station anywhere in the country inside this free app. I used to listen to all sorts of radio on my AM or FM radio. Today, I don't have time to be in the car that often. You know where I listen? I listen on the iHeartRadio app. It's awesome. And they have some really cool new features, unlike anything else in the market. One of them is called Talk Back Mic. Anytime I have something to say, I tap the mic and send my voice message and then listen to hear my voice on one of my favorite shows. Isn't that cool? You can send a message to your favorite disc jockey, your favorite podcast show host. So be sure to download the iHeart app radio. If you don't have it right now, the iHeart radio app is a winner. Be sure to download the free iHeart radio app today and start streaming your favorite radio stations, your favorite podcasts, and your favorite music playlists right from the iHeart radio app. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest. You've known him as a federal appellate judge, as a solicitor general to the United States, as the Whitewater Independent Counsel, and as one of America's great legal minds. Ken Starr is joining the show today. Ken, welcome uh, welcome to John Solomon Reports. Hey, thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, it's an honor to have you on. There's so much going on in, in the political and legal space. I don't even know where to start, but... I assume with the president's trial, uh, and if we can call it that next week in the Senate, uh, I'd love to get your thinking about uh, what what has transpired to this point, the, the impeachment and the early setup to the trial next week. Do you, do you feel good about the process? What's your what's your uh, take on how it's been conducted thus far? It's uh, wildly unconstitutional. Uh, it, what happened in the House of Representatives was uh, you can criticize lack of due process, lack of care, right. uh, lack of hearings, lack of counsel for the president. But the House had it within its power to impeach the sitting president of the United States. But we're in a different stage now, aren't we? And we have been since noon of January 20th. Great point. And what is about to unfold, in my judgment, is a flagrant violation of the text, the structure and history of our Constitution, and of the historical example of the Nixon resignation and the cessation at that stage in the House of Representatives of impeachment inquiry. And so I'm happy to elaborate on that, but I would like to see uh, thoughtful people on both sides of the aisle. Obviously, I think 45 Republican senators have already expressed the view that this is unconstitutional. And I would hope that with further study, uh, all persons of, of goodwill who have taken, I'm talking about members of the Senate, who have taken an oath to defend, to support and defend the Constitution of the United States, would take that second look and really leave for once politics at the bloody door, right? Just leave it at the door, yeah. read the text of the Constitution, reflect on exactly what's about to happen, which I think is a pernicious, it's not only unconstitutional, it's a pernicious precedent. Because as someone has recently said, and they were serious about it, all right, then let's impeach Hillary Rodham Clinton. Oh, well, let's impeach Barack Obama. So I think this is constitutionally flagrant and should be dismissed for lack of jurisdiction, which is just a fancy way of saying lack of authority on the part of the Senate, because the President of the United States is not 
now the subject of impeachment. It's a former president. Yeah. They've lost their authority on January 20th. That's the way I say it. And now they're getting, you know, hopefully we'll get into, well, what about all these historical precedents and so forth that do illuminate the path as to whether this is uh, constitutional uh, or not, as I believe it strongly to be. I definitely want to turn to that. I want to turn to one thing that has caught a lot of people's attention, and I think you know just, uh, Chief Justice Roberts. Uh, the fact that he isn't presiding, I, I think that adds a constitutional question, but it also seems like he might be making a statement about not you know, presiding over something the Constitution is always uh, intended for him to preside over. Uh, why do you think Roberts did that, and how does it add to the equation that this is an unconstitutional process? Yes, it's, uh, I, of course, don't know his thinking, but I'm going to draw an inference, and that is the Chief Justice of the United States reads the Constitution and says, I have no authority to preside, no authority whatsoever. In fact, it would be, I believe, a violation of the Constitution for the Chief Justice of the United States to come preside over the trial of a former president, because the Constitution is very clear in cases of the impeachment of the president of the United States, and since president of the United States, the chief justice shall preside, not may, send a letter, Chuck Schumer, see if right. he's free, he's free. And so forth, <laughs> you know, give him a room at the cap. No, no, no. It is unconstitutional. Let's return to the text of the Constitution. And one of the things that I wish would happen, and maybe it has happened or will happen, is let's formalize this. Let's have someone send a letter to the Chief Justice of the United States saying, excuse me, you, you have a duty to be here. And I would hope that the Chief Justice would respond in a formal way in these proceedings to say, I do not have authority because this is not the sitting president of the United States. Another telltale sign that what is about to unfold flies in the teeth of our Constitution. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. Anyone who's read the Constitution, it's not it's not ambiguous on this issue at all. And um, uh, I want to wind back to the process because you uh, and then I want to finish up with what the historical precedents are. But when we wind back to how quickly the impeachment occurred in the in the House without witnesses, without evidence, and quite frankly, without the fog of war of what happened on on January 6th even cleared yet so we can see the facts, uh, how concerning uh, is the process just as the House conducted? We basically impeached the president in a couple of hours. It was uh, a classic uh, rush to judgment. And so, unfortunately, with 10 Republicans uh, joining uh, very unwisely this uh, article of uh, impeachment, the article now has the veneer, uh, it has the reality of a bipartisan move. Right. I would hope that those uh, 10 Republicans and hopefully even some Democrats would say, as we now look at the timelines that uh, the media, the New York Times, the Washington Post and all their reporting uh, on here's exactly the facts, as John Adams <laughs> said That's to right. the Boston jury, facts, uh, uh, we're focusing on facts, as Louis Brandeis, the great justice, said, facts, facts, facts. Don't give me theory. Give me facts. And the more facts come in, exactly we know that there was a terrible rush to judgment. And the, the, people should be recanting. There should be you, – you can't draw it back. I mean, you're the House of Representatives. I right. suppose has the raw authority to. That's not going to happen. But at least those voices should be not because I'm getting primary uh, uh, opposition in the Republican primary. I 
made a mistake. Quote Fiorello LaGuardia, the great mayor of New York. New York, right? When I make a mistake, when I make a mistake, it's a butte. They made a <laughs> huge, colossal blunder. So walk back and apologize to the former president, apologize to the American people that I never should have voted in favor of this without the benefit of all the facts. I rushed to judgment. Yeah, that's the key thing. I've gone through all these FBI affidavits and all of the different perpetrators who are now accused and charged. And when you look at the FBI affidavits, it's you know really clear. This thing was planned for weeks. Uh, the the uh, yeah. de the devices at the RNC and DNC, which are you know viewed by police as maybe distractions uh, to take some police away from the site, they were planted the night before. There are conversations in November. There's training in December. Um, the idea that this was a spontaneous riot is now not not only in question; it's actually fairly yeah. debunked. Why 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 do you think? Um, that more members, you know, Liz Cheney has doubled down on this. And, you know, she's a pretty smart lady, comes from a very brilliant political family. Why do you think some lawmakers made that choice? Is it Trump exhaustion? Uh, is it just the, the moment of the, you know, the hysteria of the moment? It, it seems like some thoughtful people made a, a rushed decision. Yes, yes. I, well, I agree with that. And, of course, I can't, you know, judge not that you be not judged. I, I can't look Good into point. people's hearts and know their motivation. What I do know is I, it, it certainly there was exasperation uh, that uh, and, and and I understand the exasperation because my own view was once the the electoral college had met and had voted that was it as a matter of our constitutional right. laws now but that having been said the post eighteen seventy six Congress did what they passed a series of laws that were then invoked by Senator Cruz and. Uh, and and many Republicans in the House of Representatives, Senator Hawley, and so forth. So there was a legal leg to stand on, right? To say we are we want to uh, inquire into the Electoral College uh, vote, and of course, underlying that is exactly what happened uh, in the election uh, itself. That's all fair. I have a very strong view that the Constitution. <laughs> speaks to this situation. And once the, the vote has been certified by the governor or whomever of the, of the several states and all that have been, and then the votes are cast, that really is it. Right. But the president had a leg to stand on. So did Senator Cruz, Senator Hawley. I would have been of a different legal constitutional view. Right. But then that triggers the First Amendment. You've got the right to say this is my view with respect to the uh, election and the 46 minutes that the president spoke uh, i my own view is that it is shielded by the first amendment yes now the uh the, the house managers in their brief filed earlier this week are saying the president doesn't have first amendment rights we the people have first amendment rights to protect us against uh, the government and that's so preposterous it is every american has First Amendment rights. In fact, every person in the jurisdiction of the United States has yeah. First Amendment rights. Yep. So I think th th it is almost as, as if that once you become president, you don't have the benefit of the protections of the Constitution, including the Bill of Rights. And of course, as Chief Justice John Marshall said in a very different context, that proposition is too extravagant seriously to be maintained. That's 19th century talk. For, yes, but it makes the point. Me. You've <laughs> yes. got to be kidding me. <laughs> Such a great point. Absolutely. 
Now, as you go, uh, so that we, we've talked about the House and and also the evidence of, of the president. And when we go into the Senate, some people say, well, there have been times in the past where an impeachment trial occurred after someone had already left office or resigned office. Can you help referee the, those claims for, for those of our, our listeners here who have heard them but doesn't don't, don't quite know what to make of them? Yes, the most salient example, and it's a fair point on the other side, is uh, Secretary of War uh, uh, Belknap in that same period of 1876. He was corrupt. The House of Representatives was just about to return articles of impeachment because of his corruption. Uh, And so essentially at the 11th hour, I'll show you, you can't fire me, I quit. So Belknap quit. And the House proceeded to impeach him, and then the Senate proceeded to hold a trial. It's a fair point, but here is what makes this so different. When you step back and look at the facts, you see Belknap was trying to circumvent and skirt the powers, uh, the constitutional powers, which had already been well underway. Here's what the House of Representatives here should have done. They should have, they shouldn't have (laughs) passed the article of impeachment, but as soon as it was Uh, passed by the House of Representatives, there was, as I see it, a duty, if you wanted to actually have the trial of the president. Transmit it right away, right? You needed to to transmit it right away. Nothing was, there were no barricades, there were no National Guards people in the Capitol preventing the House managers from walking over (laughs) immediately. And then the trial would have begun. Then we would really have much more of a a Belknap kind of uh, precedent. But here's the other thing. That is a Secretary of War in 1876, the Secretary of Defense now. We're talking about the President of the United States, and the salient example, the only one, but it's very powerful, is, of course, the resignation of Richard Nixon. Right. Once Richard Nixon resigned, the House of Representatives stopped on a dime. They didn't continue, then they didn't debate. Well, wait a second, we've had all these hearings. The House Judiciary Committee, bipartisan, has voted out uh, articles of impeachment. We need to go on, and we need to make sure Richard Nixon never runs for any office again. Sound familiar? It does. No, they stopped because they read their Constitution. The impeachment is about removal and then possible disqualification. So that's the powerful example. I think what we discussed earlier, John, the Chief Justice isn't presiding. That tells you. This is, again, a sign that it's an unconstitutional. Okay, the, the, the other precedent is parliamentary history first. Right. Parliamentary history is interesting, but it's not dispositive in terms of the interpretation of America's Constitution. Yeah. Parliament was given to abuses. And the favorite example that I've seen on the other side is the impeachment of Warren Hastings, uh, the British uh potentate, so to speak, right. uh, during, the, during the British Empire in, in India. Now, so he's impeached, uh, tried by, by Parliament, and is eventually, by the way, uh, almost unanimously acquitted. That trial took seven years. Wow. It ruined this man seven years. This was a clear attack on William Pitt, the prime minister, he can't attack the prime minister. The opposition then comes after one of his key people. Key people, right? Uh, who had been, yeah. And and so we can't get at the prime minister. So let's get at 
Warren Hastings, right? Sort of someone close to him, et cetera. So there's no question. I think historians agree there was political motivation behind this, and it was a jihad. And to use that as an example that we should do that in America, I think is it's 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 laughable, but I think it's shameful that impeachment of Warren Hastings is viewed as a dark period of British history in terms of fairness to the individual. And it's being revived to, to be a positive now, right? Yeah, by the left, yeah. I want to get one other point out in terms of the unfairness of this, and this is if the Senate goes forward, what they are toying with is what I consider a bill of attainder. They can't remove President Trump from office. He has left, left in accordance with, with law. He left peacefully and lawfully. So what are they doing? They are seeking to visit punishment on the head of a former government official, the former president of the United States. I believe that constitutes a constitutionally forbidden bill of attainder, which is another example of why we don't look to parliamentary practice to say, well, that's what we want here in America. Article 1, Section 9 said, says very specifically, Congress has no authority to pass an ex post facto law. That means I do something right now, Congress tomorrow makes it criminal, I get prosecuted. That's ex post facto, right? Not right. a crime at the time the action was done. But the other, absolutely forbidden, the no-no of no-nos, is a bill of attainder. We're going to, as a legislature, heap punishment on the head of this person. Bill of attainder, this will be a process that lives in historical infamy wow. if it goes forward. It's unreal. Now, you, you've read the president's uh, uh, defense brief yesterday, I assume, and a lot of these arguments are in there. They, they seem to be similar to what you're saying. Do you feel the approach that the president's team is taking thus far is a good approach, or, or what, how would you advise them if you were, were looking at this? Yeah, I think that they're uh, going uh, – I've not had a chance to observe it totally, but what I do know is they are going to be uh, arguing no jurisdiction, no authority, and so forth. And so let's uh, let's let's all and this, First uh, Amendment. Proceeding. I think they also brought up and, the First Amendment right too, as you brought and, up. And, and, and then that's the substance. It's the First Amendment. Yeah. I do not think, from what I've read thus far, John, you're always ahead of me in terms of what's happening on the ground. I do not think that they're going to, as it were, litigate the issues of uh, what what happened during the election. That's right. my understanding, but. Yeah. yeah, I think that's and I right. Understand that. I think I think that I think that could go either way, to be honest. Yeah, that's a, a classic judgment call. And ultimately, it's the president's uh, former president Trump's uh, call. Call. Yeah. Now, right now, I think if you read the brief, it does seem to with exception of saying there are some legitimate constitutional issues that the president had a right First Amendment right to raise. For instance, there are now two rulings, one in Wisconsin, one in Virginia, where courts have ruled that election rule changes that impacted hundreds of thousands of voters were unconstitutional because they hadn't been approved by the legislature. So there's a Wisconsin Supreme Court roaming and there's a circuit court uh, agreement uh, where all the parties, including the state of Virginia, agree that they had violated the, the Constitution on that. So they're just using that as that, uh, knowing that the courts have ruled that way, he's got a First Amendment right, but I don't think he's going to litigate all of the, you know, we're not going to be hearing about election yeah. machines, I don't think, in uh, in the in the in the trial, I want to pivot to something else because it's on our uh, our listeners and, and readers' minds all the time. And you've been such an eloquent voice for the First Amendment for so long. This moment we find ourselves in, where these massive big companies with billion multi billionaire owners, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube, Google, uh, seem to be selectively silencing certain Americans. Um, and I'm curious uh, when you look at it from a legal perspective. One. 
is it un-American the way you what you see? And then two, uh, are there any constitutional recourses, any legal recourses given the Section 230 protection that a lot of these big tech companies enjoy? Yes, at a policy level, this is a travesty. Uh, shame on people sitting in Silicon Valley uh, offering censorship. This is the stuff of a communist regime. This is the kind of thing that we see in the People's Republic, the so-called People's Republic of China. This is the party state. So it's absolutely a travesty. And unfortunately, because these are publicly held companies, but it's not the government, right. uh, the, well, what, what, is, what is the recourse? And so I think what we're seeing now, a very eloquent speech uh, by the governor of uh, Florida, Florida? Yeah. Uh, Governor De- De- DeSantis, uh, other governors are speaking out. And full disclosure, I'm involved in a lawsuit in private legal capacity as outside counsel, part of outside counsel, to Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton against sure. Google. So full, full disclosure. And yes, these uh, the, the remedies are clear. We've got to tear these modern-day, now technological giants who control the means of discourse apart. Uh, and so, yes, we, and, and it may be that the laws will be there. The antitrust laws are very important laws to guard against monopolistic power and even more importantly, the abuse of monopolistic power. The robber barons of old didn't have the opportunity, didn't have the wherewithal to shut people's voices down. The modern day robber barons do. They need to be taken apart. And uh, certain immunity granted, Section 230 of the Communications Act, all these things are important to look at. But I think the American people need to rise up in righteous indignation, make their voices heard to their representatives, their member of Congress, doesn't matter what party that person is from, I think it's outrageous that voices are being squelched. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I, it's just, it's so anti-American culture, values of the First Amendment, which is, if you think it's a lie, you fight, you fight lies with truth. And of course, a lot of these are matters of opinion. And opinions are opinions. Allow the marketplace of ideas to work that was the great traditional ACLU view. Exactly. We may not agree with that speech, but we certainly will agree with your right to make that speech, make that point, and that's being lost. Yeah, and there are many great uh, Supreme Court rulings that really uh, made that point that it may be offensive to us, but it's still protected under the Constitution, and we seem to have lost that essence in our conversation. And liberals used to be the champions of this, and now they're on the other side of it in many cases. So pretty remarkable. Yeah, well, remember the... Yeah, remember the ACLU, uh, the, the, the not neo-Nazis marching in Skokie, uh, Illinois, a, a, a place where uh, so many Jewish, a Jewish neighborhood, including Holocaust survivors, and the ACLU defended the right of the Nazis or the neo-Nazis to go parading through the streets of Skokie. And it's pretty offensive. I find it offensive. Sure. But welcome to our sweet land of liberty where there are lots of things that are offensive that you just say, well, I disagree with that and I disagree with it fervently, yep. but you don't censor it. 
Yeah, that's the that's the the the, the precipice we seem to have crossed over. We seem to have lost that 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 context that our courts have so long held. So, well, sir, I want to thank you so much for all you do. You're such a uh, we. Every time I have you on, we learn so much, and and I, our listeners have had so many questions about this process. So, I want to thank you, and hopefully, uh, as the trial goes on and we get back to some normals, I'd love to get you back on. Thank you. I look forward to it, John. Thank you, sir. All right, folks, we're going to come right back after commercial break and wrap things up. Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org justnews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advice fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash Just News. Hey folks, as we approach another critical election, a wave of concern washes over America. Recent studies reveal that an astonishing 56% of our fellow citizens report feelings of anxiety or dread about the upcoming presidential election. That's why I stand with AMAC. AMAC is more than a senior discount organization. During these challenging times, they fight for common sense and hope that our nation returns to traditional American values. Visit amac.us forward slash just news today to seize an exclusive election year special, a four-year AMAC membership for just $30. That's right. You're me right. Four years for 30 bucks. As an AMAC member, you're not only enjoying money-saving benefits, but also the AMAC magazine, free social security and Medicare advice, a trusted voice in Washington, and a community of like-minded patriots who love this great nation. Take advantage of this election year special four years for $30 and be part of the solution over the next four years. By becoming an AMAC member, you're strengthening a movement dedicated to preserving the principles we hold dear in this great country. Join now at amac.us slash justnews. That's amac.us slash justnews. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where I hope uh, you had a good time today listening to Ken Starr, such a thoughtful man, a person that really thinks about the Constitution, the law, and yeah, everyone's upset about what happened on January 6th, but a motion has to be set aside in the letter of the Constitution, the law of the Constitution, the le- facts of what happened on January 6th have to break through our emotion, our anger, our horror, and I think uh, Ken Starr helped us get through some of that. Take a look for, in the next few days. I hope to have a story that cuts through the planning and raises some pretty serious questions about how much the FBI could have, should have, or may have known about January 6th. Important stuff to get to the bottom of. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. If you like what we do, remember those sponsors and advertisers you hear from on this show? Support them, buy their products, subscribe to their services, tell them how much you love them for making our journalism possible at justthenews.com 
and John Solomon Reports. Until tomorrow, may God bless you. You have a wonderful and blessed night with your family. And of course, may God bless as he always has this amazing country, the United States of America. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA employs brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call one 800 That's one 800 Two four five six thousand, or visit taxnetworkusa.com/slash/victor. Taxnetworkusa.com/slash/victor. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, Add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code justnews15. That's the promo code justnews15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a health care provider.